Guys, uh, so today's topic, what we're going to be talking about um, uh, is, is happiness, is, is joy, um, is pleasure. And the reason why this is important, this is a, a big topic in, uh, in Proverbs, this issue of, of joy and pleasure. And um, I think it's huge, obviously, because it's in the Bible. Um, but it's funny because when you look around, a lot of times in, in Christianity, uh, we can be deemed as people uh, who, who don't have fun, uh, who, 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 who aren't enjoying life. Um, and I'm going to propose that, uh, that we're really far from that. Uh, Christians should be far from that reality. We should be the people who are exemplifying what does it mean uh, to have joy and to be sucking the marrow out of life, to be enjoying all that life has uh, because the pleasures of God are ours in Christ Jesus. So we are the ones who are supposed to be leading the way on what does it look like uh, to have joy. And I think also this is uh, contextually fitting, uh, even as I think of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 32, um, when he says, um, this is Paul speaking, he says, what do I gain if I, humanly, uh, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, uh, let us, he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Uh, his whole point here in the context is he's making a point that, you know what, I've given my whole life to Jesus. Uh, I'm like you guys. I've been, I've been in these rooms and I've been singing songs and the world looks at me and goes, why are you singing songs about a dead guy? And they think I'm crazy. And you know what, uh, they're kind of right if this isn't true. That if this isn't true, if the gospel isn't true, if Jesus is a figment of our imagination, if he's some um, opportunity for us as man to construct a, a figure to kind of give us a stimulus to have a moral compass, uh, he says then we're stupid and what we should do is just drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. If, if, if this is real, it means everything. If this is not real, we are absolutely dumb. That's his point. Now, the, the, the inference there is he says that because he understands that Jesus uh, is not only a historical figure, he not only historically died on the cross, but the reality is for us today, they never, we never found a body. For him then, he had an amazing, miraculous appearance. And him and also 11 of the 12 disciples were willing to die gruesome, mutilating deaths because they believed that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. And I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of brother, I'll, I'll do this thing, but you start talking about chopping my head off and, like, you know, hanging me upside down and doing all that stuff. If I know that we hid the body or I know that something happened that really the reality is Jesus is not the king, I think by the time they got me upside down, I start talking. I'm like, okay, you're right, man. I was just playing. But these guys were willing to be murdered because they believed the reality that Jesus Christ actually rose. And actually, if you understand history, then what happens is the whole world gets flipped upside down because of a few vagabond, crazy uh, disciples. So, so he, says, he says in this text here that, uh, you know, be drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And I thought to myself, man, this is evangelistic because I feel like to understand our community, we should probably really pray about this context. This is our world. See, the reality is our world basically thinks like this, especially a lot of our neighbors, 
right? We, we say, man, I'm struggling. I'm tired of hustling, trying to pay these bills. Uh, you know what? I, I'm not about to try to save my last $10. Look, man, I don't know what I got going tomorrow. I feel like my life is worthless. This is, these are the lies that Satan puts in us, right? My life's not worth living. It's not worth saving. It's not worth thinking about the future. So, man, I'm just going to go ahead and buy my J's now. I'm going to go ahead and get drunk now. I'm going to go ahead and do my thing now because tomorrow we die. And so we are in a culture, we're in a community, even our neighbors, where people, we know how to party. We know how to kick it because we bought into this. And so the question becomes us as believers having the truth, understanding hope, and understanding that actually kind of half right. We can experience pleasure, but what does it look like to experience gospel pleasure, true pleasure? So I, so I think there's a way to even see this reality and to think about how do we minister to people contextually with that reality. Because when cats are just trying to kick it, you know, go to the next party, buy the next tight shoes, knowing they're broke, doing all the things for themselves, and then you come talking about, hey, come to this marriage retreat, contextually this doesn't make sense. They're like, I'm, par- I'm kicking it. What are you talking about? Learn how to do the dishes for my wife. What are you, what are you, what are you talking about? You see that? So, so we got to figure out a different way. We have to figure out how do we contextually see this reality in our community and minister to our neighbors. Because this is it. This issue of pleasure. So what I want to do, guys, I want to talk about this issue of pleasure because I think we get a bad rap. And I want to challenge us on a couple of things about pleasure. Um, I want us to think biblically about it. And I want us to understand something. God wants you and me to enjoy our life. He wants you to smile and enjoy life. To have pleasure is an actual biblical mandate. It's something that the Lord created you for. So let's start. We'll start right now. We're going to start with the definition, and we're going to go into um, uh, the biblical theology of pleasure. Then I'm going to talk about the distortions of pleasure. We're going to just... We're going to just tear this thing up, okay? If you're new, we ask questions because we're not trying to just get smarter. Uh, we, want, we want to be encouraged. So if there's some stuff that can help fill some holes, please ask your question, especially if you know it's going to bless the whole body. If there's something specific, you can come see me afterwards. But just know that this is not just me uh, running my mouth. We really want people to understand what God is saying so we can build conviction so that we can worship Jesus. We want all this to lead toward worship, okay? All right, let's start with the, uh, the definition of pleasure. So pleasure... Is defined, I would say, in, uh, these are kind of mesh, meshed together two ways. Generally defined as gratification of the senses or of the mind, right? We get that. Um, I like this one even better. Uh, I think it adds to this. It, it sort of uh, just allows that the definition of pleasure to blow up a little bit. Happiness produced, this is, this is what pleasure is, all right, young people? So happiness produced by the expectation or the enjoyment of something good, delightful. Or satisfying. That's what pleasure is. I think we can all agree with that. It's when we like something, <laughs> right? When we like to do something, when it's satisfying. My thesis, again, God's people should enjoy their life. We should enjoy our life. We see this in Ecclesiastes 9.9. You can write that address down. Uh, You'll see that uh, all throughout Ecclesiastes. His point is like, hey, things are meaningless without the gospel. Okay? That's his point. His point isn't that things are just meaningless. That's a bad interpretation of Ecclesiastes. I've heard people say that. That's not actually what the Bible's teaching. Okay? 
He's saying, if you're doing all this stuff, you're buying a big car, you got the boat, you got the house, you got the nice honey, you're doing all these things, you're a good athlete, all this stuff, and if you're not about gospel, if you're not about kingdom, your life is a plastic pearl. It's absolutely fake. It's meaningless. You've wasted your life because God didn't create you for all that stuff. He didn't create you or me to be God. He's God. He created us to enjoy his pleasures. So, Psalm 68.3 says, but the righteous, let me just prove it to you a couple of verses, but the righteous shall be glad. That's God's people, right? They shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. You see that, guys? God's people are to be marked, the mark of happiness and joy. I want to challenge us in this. This is what the Bible's saying. Look at Proverbs 3.13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, the word blessed. When you hear the word blessed from now on for the next year as we talk blessed, I know we hear it thrown around a lot, you know, you know in our community. How you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. You know, you hear that all the time. You know what I'm saying? All right. We can flippantly, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. We can, we can flippantly use that word. Here in a Bible, that word's serious, Okay. Because that word has, 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 has image capacity in, connected to it. Blessed means you're happy. That, that basically you're reminding God of himself. That you're full of joy. So even when Jesus, now go back to the, the Beatitudes, go back to the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about blessed are those, right? His point is it's not just a flipping word. His point is that those people, those people are experiencing true joy, true happiness, who are being kingdom people. Very important when you see that. So when he says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who actually gets knowledge and understanding of the Holy One, the one who actually has that, who, who's had wise and skillful living. They've taken the scriptures, they've taken the, the goodness of Jesus, his wisdom, his, his knowledge, and they've imparted in their life. He says, those people are happy. Those people have joy. Proverbs 3.18, look at this. She, wisdom, is a tree of life. So if, you, if you're doubting how important wisdom is and, and its place, notice, she is a tree of life. You, do you hear some typologies here? You, you, that remind you of something? It takes you back to creation. That's how, that's how wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, who hold her fast. They're called blessed. This is what God has in store for you and me. This is what God has promised people of God. This is what he's saying we have, okay? Now, why? Why, why is joy, pleasure so important? Why, why, um, why is it something that we should have as people? Everything goes back to the gospel because of image, okay? Because of image, the imago Dei, the image of God. That's why. Because Jesus, our, our Lord, the, tri- the triune God, the Trinity, is a pleasure-getting, pleasure-seeking God. He loves to be happy, right? He is happy because everything he does is for his pleasure. Everything God does is because it allows him to have a smile on his face. Everything is for God's pleasure. And so what we get to do is we get to recommunicate that, that, that characteristic to the Lord. We get to image that back to the Lord when we're imaging that to one another, when we're modeling that joy to each other, when we're caring and when we're worshiping God, we get to remind God of himself that he's a partying God. 
He likes to have fun. So he's created us with that capacity. Let me give you one example of something that makes him just excited. Look at this. Ephesians 1, 5 through 9. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ Jesus. Okay? So the words where you see purpose, I have the ESV. In many, in many translations, it says of his good pleasure. That salvation itself, God making his enemies his friends, taking you and me and giving us true life brings some pleasure, brings some great joy. He gets excited about that. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. No problem. So he saves us because it brings him joy. Doesn't that, isn't that awesome when you think of how sinful and jacked up we are, how messed up we are? It's that the Lord doesn't just go, man, I'm God, I'm awesome, I'm perfect. I said I was going to do this whole redemptive thing, this whole, you know, new creation stuff. So I guess I got to save you and make you whole because that's part of my plan so I can show people that I'm really am God. That's not how he approaches salvation. That's not how he approaches redeeming you, redeeming our kids. He approaches it with joy. He's ecstatic and happy that he gets to take messed up evil creatures that he's created who rebelled against him and say, I'm going to love you and show you and lavish my love upon you where you're going to say, I, I, I got this nature and by God's grace, I'm, I'm going to choose Jesus. Great joy. Now, there is a distortion though of pleasure, right? In the doctrine of pleasure, the reality is everything is sweet but then we all sin, right? Now, let me ask a question. So we sin, we mess everything up. The Bible says God creates all this for our enjoyment. He gives us, he gives us land, he gives us food, he gives us a honey. I mean, he hooks it up. And then, he, and then we say, you know what? I want to be my own God. I don't, I don't want to uh, worship you. And then we fall into sin and we distort. Okay, so here's a question. Make sure we give, we, we understand Satan so that we can be able to understand his trickery, expose his lies, and rebuke him in the name of Jesus. Does, does Satan create? Okay, we all get that, okay? Always understand that. Satan is not a creator. He is a distortor. All right? Only God creates. God creates Satan distorts and warps and, and, and makes things kind of jacked. So, we, so basically, its original intent can't be seen, right? And so what happens is he takes things that, that, that have dignity, and then what he does is he separates those things from the truth and dignity that it's supposed to have. That's what he does. Think of all the things. Just think of something. Think of uh, he takes food, beautiful thing, and then we have gluttony, right? We have eating disorders, People can't even eat food. We're trying to throw it up. We're doing all these crazy things. He takes, you know, something as beautiful as, as sex, and he takes it and he distorts it, right? And you have, you know, you have prostitutes, and you have, uh, you know, sexual sins and fornication, and you have pornography, all this stuff. Name something. He takes, 
Music, beautiful. God created it for our enjoyment. And then, and then now, it, on some airwaves, it's used to degrade women, right? And it's used to exalt man. It's used to, to exalt, you know, the stuff we have and what we should have and who we really are if we have it. What else, guys? It takes drugs. God created these things, right? And then we have addicts all over the place. So what he does is he takes things that God has created for his purposes and glory so that we might have pleasure, we might have joy, and then he distorts them. Our relationships, they're created for pleasure, for joy. And then we get caught up in bitterness and jealousy, right, and rivalry and hate. And we take the things that we're supposed to have for joy, and they, they get distorted. Now, what happens is we go, well, so there's joy, and then we can distort it. So, so how, like, what's good joy and what's bad joy? Because, you know, you, you get nervous when you start talking joy. You're like, so can I do anything? Okay, well, of course not. There's, there's, there's bad pleasure. Look at Hebrews 11, guys. I love this text because I think this text is so street, it's so real. Um, I tell guys this all the time because what's, what, one, one commentary can be when you're a Christian, you're trying to help people see the, the beauty of Christ. You want to lead them to Jesus. You try to make it sound like Christianity is so happy and awesome and sin is so bad. And I love this verse because it kind of makes it honest. And this verse says, actually, sin's kind of fun. So that, that, that can't be, you, 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 you're, you're doing sleight of hand with people if you're telling them that. Because it's not true. This, this says here, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses didn't say, man, I just love Jesus because he's so good and sin's so bad. He's like, look, man, it would have been really cool. I really, yeah, man, I was like, that would have been tight. I'd have been, you know, I'd have been having all this money. It would have been great. And what, what the, the, the biblical response to the fleeting pleasures is that fact that they're fleeting. The issue is not that is it good or not or is it doesn't make you get excited. The issue is its longevity. The issue is it doesn't last. It's destroyed. It's fake. That's the issue of sinful pleasures is that they're not true in their essence. Second Timothy, look what he says. By, um, Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasures, pleasure rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying his power, avoids his people. There is bad pleasure, okay? So we have a reality. We have the reality of how God has I've created you for joy, to laugh, to enjoy all that I've created. There's nothing necessarily in creation off limits. But there's ways we distort creation, which makes, it, makes things evil. And, we, and we, we can take things that are beautiful and we make them horrible and they dishonor God. So what do we do? How do we reclaim pleasure? 
How do we as believers leave and say, man, I'm excited to live for Jesus. I don't need to walk around and have this persona in my mind of what I'm supposed to look like as a Christian, but I'm free to enjoy, to laugh. Barbecue, he said, that's, the, that's reclaiming pleasure. All right, now we, yeah, so we're we, we getting there. We're going we're gonna to put some theology around that. I like that. But now I'm talking about, how, about biblical barbecue. Let's talk through that. That's good, bro. Now, I like barbecue, but that's what I'm talking about. I want us to be willing to say, man, like, because like, sometimes we can think, we can, we can kind of think, okay, if I'm holy, that means I, if I like it, then there's a bad motive, so I can't do it. And we can, we can start thinking we can't just enjoy stuff. Oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, my TV's too big. I'm, it's gonna, people will think this. I, I like it. I actually like the big screen. I see the fish, and I'm watching Finding Nemo, and the fish are really blue. And oh, What does this mean? I got to sell this TV. We start, we kill it, we, we go crazy versus like enjoying. Just free yourself to enjoy. Judging each other. Why you got the TV? Why you got a new couch? Why you got this? And we can't just enjoy each other and just relax a little bit. Let's take God serious and not ourselves. So we're claiming pleasure. Here's what it looks like, guys. So the scriptures are... Uh, what is it like when we find our pleasure in God is a question. Is that God isn't saying that there's this, this is right, this is wrong. Is where are we finding our pleasure in? What are we finding our pleasure in? And we see this verse uh, that's very, very popular, uh, Psalm 37.4, which I think just speaks to this, where he says, delight yourselves in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. What's the point there? The point there is that not you can just go and do all kind of crazy things. The point is that what happens is when we start finding our pleasure, our trust, our, our focus in Jesus, what God starts doing, so God gives us the grace to see him for who he is. We start connecting to the vine. We start supping with Jesus, learning about the love of God, getting washed by the love of Jesus. Then what he starts doing, he actually starts changing our will. And so now our will that's always warring, it's always saying, no, you want me to do this, Jesus, but I want to do this. What happens is as we continue to sit before the feet of our Savior is that starts to change. And it's not that this guy allows you to satisfy your evil desires, but he changes your desires. Is that he actually starts saying, I actually want what God wants. I want to love what God loves. I want to be about what God wants to be about. And so now it's not a burden, but it's something you get to do. You want to enjoy God. You want to. And now you have pleasure. That's how we reclaim it. That's how the Lord reclaims it, through the gospel. Is that Jesus says you can't do that on your own. You have to realize you're jacked up, you're sinful. And then what he does, he says, I come, I give you life freely. He makes us a believer, and as we connect to the vine, he actually does something inside us where we stop wanting fakeness and we want something real. That's the beauty of life. He puts you on a new course. Isn't it beautiful when you experience that? We all struggle with sin. To this day, we all got strongholds and things are going, man, Lord, would you take that out of my life? We're all struggling. But you know what's cool is you have some testimonies. You have some stories where God said, I'm just going to take that out of your life. I'm going to change you here. You won't be able to explain it. You won't be able to tell people the three steps. God's going to do it. And the reason why he does that in some areas and some of them you're struggling in, because he wants you to remember by faith he did those so you can have faith to know that he'll do the other things in your life. That's the beauty of the gospel. 
So our wheels start warring, and God works in our life, and then he reclaims our heart because he's a loving daddy. Joy. We don't have to live fake. You don't have to. I even think of my, my, my oh, I look at my, my young people here like, the world is going to tell you, find your joy in all these other things. And the Lord is saying he wants you to understand that there's only true joy in Jesus. So let's look at a few, let's look at a few Proverbs that speaks to this area of like of what God is doing in our heart. Proverbs 13, 19. It says, a desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil and his abomination to the soul. That's an interesting proverb, isn't it? His point there is that you, um, how do I say this? You have, you have a desire that if you're righteous, and the, and the point being when you look at Proverbs, he's always assuming that the good guy is righteous, first of all. It's not like a smart guy does this and the dumb guy does that. D- Jesus' framework in Scripture, guys, is always like holiness and evil, okay? This is, so we, so you, gotta, you gotta have a framework because you can go to it a very narcissistic, humanistic mindset and just think, oh, if I'm a good guy, I do this, and bad guys do that. That's not his point. His point is Jesus kind of people and evil people. And so what happens in, in, this, in this proverb here is he's saying a fool's appetite is never satisfied. But a godly man's appetite actually is. And in doing so, the godly person, so this is basically saying that we, we reclaim pleasures um, when we have contentment as a theme in our life. When contentment is a theme, when you realize, oh, you get something and you're like, cool, Lord, and you don't have to keep getting it because in this, in this proverb here, he's saying that the fool, basically uh, his desire to never be fed actually brings him to abomination. That basically he never gets fed, so it actually leads him to abomination. Does that make sense? So, so I would say the first piece is that we have to have a, a strong understanding of biblical contentment. It's knowing that God gives to us and we can be content in that, and that provides joy, unspeakable joy. So uh, Proverbs 15, 30. I love this. Um, how do we reclaim pleasure? I would say have, you would see life giving as a theme. Look at, this, look what it says here. The light of the eyes rejoice in the heart, right? Uh, light always being a sense of like uh, gospel light, people who are seeing clearly, people who are seeing Jesus. Uh, those people, those people who, are, who are getting wisdom, you know, grabbing after her. Those people who are, who are about Jesus' things, they have light. And what happens is that their, their, their eyes rejoices the heart, that they're getting that good stuff, that Jesus stuff, getting the gospel, getting the scriptures, getting covenant community, community their heart rejoices, okay? Uh, and good news refreshes the bones. And so what happens is those kind of people, right, what they do is not only in their own self, in the, so it's more of an intrinsic nature, are they strengthening the Lord, but they also strengthen other people. Have you been around people like that? Life givers? When you're around them, it seems like they're getting something, they're getting something, and, they, and now it's like oozing out of them. That's his point here. That you are reclaiming pleasure, we, 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 we ask the Lord to allow us to be life givers, to, to, but see, no, no, the, the inference there is that light is coming in. Gospel's going in. Gospel's being received, right? Proverbs 10, 28. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. See that? That reclaiming pleasure, we want to have pleasure as believers, guys. Hope has to be a theme. Hope has to be your theme. Notice in the text there. 
the hope of the righteous brings joy. So, they, so the hope, right, that, that, that understanding of something that hasn't happened yet, but you're hoping because you know it will be fulfilled that we have in what our Savior Jesus, that brings joy because we know it's guaranteed. But look at this, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. You see what he's doing here? Beautiful literary context here, what, he, what he's trying to do. He's saying, but the, but the hope, as it were, of the wicked is not hope. So it perishes. You see the difference? The difference is that we have hope that doesn't perish because we have hope in Jesus and he doesn't perish. But wicked people don't have hope because wicked people, what we do is we, we, we grab and grab things like a, a squirrel trying to get nuts. You know, you run around here and Revelation calls these, us people who are not um, walking with Jesus earth dwellers because all they have is the earth. All they have is the stuff you see. All they can grab onto is their car and their girl and their money and their watch and, their, and whatever it is. And he says, you can have that stuff, but see, there's no hope in that stuff. It, it doesn't last. The longevity. The Bible's always about longevity. Yeah, you can get that now, but what about eternity? What are you going to do for eternity when your car rusts out, when your rims get nasty and dirty? Can you imagine you're spending 10, I mean, if you got mad cheese, buy $10,000 rims. Again, I'm a, I am a, I'm a gospel center by God's grace capitalist. Do it. But I'm blown away at people who buy $10,000 rims and they got $12,000 in the bank. It's going to rust. It's going to get messed up. They are not going to last forever. I even got a professional to tell me. Right, Eric? Thank you. He owns his own garage. I'm just a pastor. I don't really know. That's the rumors. He affirmed it. So it doesn't make any sense. His point here, guys, is the expectation, as a, expectation, hope. That's his whole point there. It's a play on words, expectation, hope. Almost cousins. The expectations of the wicked perish because they have no expectation. Don't be family because I love you. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Hope is only in Christ. 2814, guys. We want to reclaim pleasure. We got to have godly fear as a theme. Godly fear. Look what it says in uh, 28, 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. His whole point here is godly fear and true happiness are absolutely inseparable. That's his point. So he gives us a lot. He, he, he gives us clarity on how to reclaim pleasure, guys. How do we live a life of joy? Enjoying our king. Now, let's talk about enjoying pleasure, okay? So the Lord is joyous. He's happy. He's a pleasurable God, okay? We're all there. Hopefully, I've convinced you of that. Hopefully, the scriptures have. Uh, We're to be that way too, um, right? And so joy is important, I want to say, for many reasons. We talk evangelistically, uh, but I want to make a statement that hopefully, um, I hope this will help us get to the matter of joy. In Nehemiah 8.10, this verse is used a lot, but actually it makes sense when people use it, right? When he says, for the joy of the Lord is our strength, right? And I, I don't think it's out of context when, he, when he's talking there because he's, he's making a really strong point uh, of, of discussing what God has done in history. And now he's telling the people, hey, you can be of good cheer. The Lord has, has brought us from this place. He's, re, he's regalvanizing us. Hey, when you're in fear, don't be in fear for the Lord is our strength, right? The joy of the Lord is our strength. I want to say this. The joy found only in the Lord is strength. I want to propose that. That the joy comes from the Lord uh, is this point in Proverbs, in Psalms, in Nehemiah. 
and is intended to make God's people strong. Now you hear that? Don't miss this. Joy comes from the Lord. I want to propose one of the main reasons the Lord gives us joy, right, to be like him. And I'll tell you, our God is strong. And what the Lord does in joy is he's saying that's where you get strength. I want to get us away from the fable of it all when you hear it over over and over and again and you can't really intake it because you're like, I've heard that so many times. But it's true. Where you have, where you're joyous in Christ, it makes you strong. Let me give you an example. Uh, Proverbs 15, 13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, the scriptures say, but a sorrow, uh, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. What is he saying here? The psyche, he's saying there's a psyche that comes from living in folly and there's a psyche that comes from living in joy. That's his point. And you, we've seen this. See, let's not let the world take biblical truth out of the equation, right? We got people who are doing self-help and all this stuff. But biblically, founded in Christ, it is actually true that when you're founded in Christ, that actually your psyche of joy, when you're experiencing joy, right, that actually what it does, it it makes you be more cheerful. (laughs) I don't know how to say it without it sounding so plain. It's like, I don't need to interpret that, right? You know, people, you, you don't go, I'm having a great day today. I really love everybody. Like, you, you, I'm just trying to help us see, you know. I know we all have different personalities and different dispositions, but I'm just proposing to you here is why the scriptures are saying these things. And in the same way, he says, but a sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed, right? That those who are depressed and we're, and we're experiencing down and outness, what happens, it, it reveals itself. But an interesting thing here is some of us, now let me just propose here, in this text, he's talking about people living in folly, whereas some of us, I just want to give a, give a caveat, we're experiencing depression for other reasons, and we're asking the Lord for deliverance. So that's, that's a different context here, is he's saying, but there's many of us, we're depressed because we're in sin. We, 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 we're foolish, and we're doing foolish things, and we're going around, looking around like, why you ain't as mad as me? Proverbs 15, 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, the scriptures say, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. See that theme again? It's like the sense of, uh, like you have the wretched uh, to cheerful. That's kind of the theme here. And you have this sense of like, so joyful heart, here's the manifestations, here's the manifestations of wickedness. Right? Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine. You hear what the scriptures say? It's good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Live in a way where you experience joy. And, re- and he says, you, so you live in a way, you experience joy, and then what happens is your, your life revives, right? You experience joy, and it revives you. In the same way, you experience depression, and it sucks life from you. This is what the scriptures are saying. I'm just explaining what the Proverbs are saying. So people who enjoy God, my point there is to make the point that people who enjoy God are strong people. You are, why are you strong? You are able to resist temptation. When, you're, when you have joy in the Lord, you're able to resist discouragement. You're able to resist opposition when you're strong in the Lord. People who don't have joy are very weak people because you are susceptible to sin. Weak people are susceptible to discouragement. And trouble often overtakes you. Those are humbling words. But I'm proposing this is what the scriptures are saying. And as your pastor, I want to be honest with what the scriptures are saying. 
that, that, that there's something connected to that reality. And if you find yourself tossed to and fro by doctrine, to and fro by personalities, to and fro by people, to and fro by your own emotions, you're not as strong as you think you are. I'm proposing to you that the scriptures are saying you're actually weak. You find yourself judging, staring at people, wanting, wanting hateful things. That's not joy. But God wants us to maximize our pleasure, family. And that's what John Piper's book is all about. You, I, I want to propose maybe every two to three years you read uh, Desiring God, because uh, the meditation of a Christian hedonist, right? Uh, the basis, that's the context of this book. The whole book is this, this sermon here, right? Uh, this quote, basically this is one of his key sort of mantras or cries, uh, which comes from the book, is that, uh, that we exist to glorify Jesus. That's why we exist. Uh, we do it by enjoying Jesus. The way you glorify God is not by just going through the motions, doing evangelism, but it's actually enjoying God. I want to even propose that in the context of the book, he makes a point almost like to, to go to the end of your life not having enjoyed God, you sin for that reason. That you didn't do nothing with your life. You didn't laugh with me. You didn't enjoy with me. You didn't use any of the things I created. What are you doing? Why do you think I put all this stuff here? He says, uh, his rally cry is, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. The question on the table for all of us when we're trapped in some stuff is, are you satisfied with God? Are you satisfied? Are you enjoying Jesus? All right. Uh, let me just hit this real quick so we can go home. This is making sense. Uh, check this out, guys. There's things that rob of, uh, robs us of pleasure. So let me hit these real quick. The first thing that robs us of this pleasure that we're talking about, uh, <laughs> dumb rules. I don't know how else to say it. So, so Christianity, we are free to live life, right? You were free. We're, we're, we're just free to enjoy life. Now, let me ask you a question. Will focusing on obedience cause you to be more obedient? Well, fo- see, that's a trick question. Don't you hate those trick questions? People ask that. You're like, man, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to say something. It's going to be wrong, right? <laughs> I would say absolutely not. Why? Because we see it. The law... No one could sustain the law. Just saying, here's what it means to be obedient. Now do it. Don't work. Longevity. It might work on Monday. God is a God of longevity. It doesn't work. You know how to be obedient? Quit focusing in on obedience and focus in on Jesus. Focus in on your Savior. Focus in on loving Christ. God's remedy in scripture is that what happens is that when you're diving in Jesus, you're walking with the Lord, you're entering into community, you're allowing God to give you truth. You know, we're, 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 and I say in our community, here's, here's where we get in trouble. Can I just tell you how we get in trouble in our community? Okay, there's three things that happens in our community, okay? You can come to a MAC group or one-on-one, we do one-on-one, our discipleship, and here's what usually happens. Here's the framework. You can get truth, so people provide truth in that environment. People provide grace in that environment where there's things, you know, where you're like, you're like oh, I don't know, we're going to give grace. It's like, a, it's like a gray area. And then, so there's this, there's this true proper, there's grace. And then there's things in your life that are not from the Lord, maybe idols, lies you're believing, whatever it is, 
right? And then those things have to be parsed out, okay? Here's how we get in trouble. Those are basically the three areas that happens in groups, okay, in our, in our groups. What happens is in each one of those areas, community, according to Scripture, are supposed to be able to speak it to those at some level. Is that fair? Oh, we don't want to say nothing for that, right? Absolutely it's fair. Does God want us to understand what truth is? Does God want us to give grace to each other when it's a preference issue? Yeah. If I got, if I got something in my house and you don't have it and you say, well, why do you, why do you have it? I say, because I'm free in Jesus to enjoy the Lord. Get off my back. Right? Right? Okay. But what about the area where I'm worshiping something I shouldn't be worshiping? So what do I do about that? It's an idol in your life now. You going to let me talk about that? That's where we get in trouble. Why are you talking about that? Why are you in my business? You see that? That's how we get in trouble. Because now we actually want to be community. And we want to love you enough to take a risk. And say, we actually don't want you to keep an idol because it makes me feel better. And you keep coming here and putting butts in the seat. That's not why we're here. We're here to worship Christ. That's how we get in trouble. So my point in that is obedience is an issue. Jesus is an issue. When we point to Christ, when we're imaging Christ to each other, when we're saying Christ is the reason why we're gathering, Christ is the reason why we come here, Christ is the reason why we do life and have our being, right? And now it's not about did you do this, don't you do this, why you do this, why you got this, why you got that. That's, those things are irrelevant questions. The question is, is Jesus on the throne of your life? At any mad group, what you're going to usually hear is, oh, okay, so is that a kingdom decision? What do you mean it's a kingdom decision? Whoa. Whoa. That's a fair question. You can say yes or you can say no. I don't have to be mad or mean because I asked you that question. You, it, your response negates what, what, what's going to be, the, what's gonna be the, the conversation. Do you see that, guys? I'm trying to help us see that that this thing's a little more emotional in how we do life, and we got to figure it out and, and, and make sure that we're giving Jesus his, his proper due as we desire to experience joy. So, absolutely not. Focusing in on Christ is where, is how we make life fun, is how we enjoy Jesus, right? Experience his grace. So, how, what do we do about managing rules? I even think about it. I think about my wife. I mean, here's the thing, like, I can say, you know, my wife, she marries me. She says, hey, this guy, I'm committed to him. He, you know, if he does something stupid on me, you know, beats me, cheat on me, something stupid, you know, I'm going to, by God's grace, I'm going to be committed to this man and hopefully keep seeing him just be walking with the Lord. Like, I, in my mind, I'm not going, is she going to leave if I do something stupid? Like, I'm, I'm totally secure in that relationship. In that security, in that relationship, because of grace, because of God's demonstration of grace through my wife, when I'm in a place somewhere, guys, by God's grace, you know, and some lady, you know, or there's an opportunity and she says, hey, why don't you partake in some sin? Or she wants to, you know, give me an attractive eye. I say, you know what? No, my tank's full at home. My tank's full. I want to propose to you that her faithfulness to me by God's grace, I'm sure there's... There's guys who look better than me, and she's in environments where she has to go, hopefully her cup's full, and I don't have to choose this. 
I'm proposing that the reason why God has allowed us to remain faithful to each other is not simply out of obedience, but it's because my cup is full. My wife's awesome. I absolutely adore my wife. And so now it's just like I'm driving. I'm, so, I don't, like, I'm not even thinking about this because I'm like, I got a Rolls Royce at the house. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm serious. I'm not even trying to get brownie points. I, I tell people all the time, the biggest dis- demonstration of God's grace next to Christ is my beautiful Sarah. And so it's, I don't even, I don't even think of it. Like, like, really? Do, my, you, my boo is off the chain. And y'all know if it's one kid's Sunday, I'll share more. So, <laughs> so, so I say that, but here's the thing. I'm proposing that's one of the ways that God allows us to recommunicate his attribute of love. As I'm proposing, that's just a typology of a fallen woman and a fallen man. How much our Savior? How much that we drink from Jesus? We enter into a covenant and we're just experiencing the Lord. We're enjoying Christ. We're not settling for fake pleasures. And then then Satan says, hey, you want a bite of this? We say, no, my cup's full. That's, That's how you abstain from sin. It's not going, look at that sin, I gotta fight, I gotta fight. It's saying, I'm getting Christ. I'm too, I'm too full to eat. I can't, I don't want any of that. I got, I got a full tummy of Christ. Our issue is our appetite. That's our issue. Dude, I don't, I don't even know where, where that quote is, but, it, uh, but uh, the guy, is, that, is the quote coming up, J.D.? The quote of C.S. Lewis? I just want to uh, read this to you real quick. He says in C.S. Lewis, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. You see that? He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drinking, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We sit around and we think, Lord, I wish you would just bless me with my little plastic pearls. And he's going, man, why do you settle for such trash when you can have a feast? That's really what's going on. We're mad. Lord, you don't want me to be blessed. You don't want me to be happy. He's like, actually, you don't want to be happy because I'm trying to bless you, and you won't receive from your Savior. Your cup's empty, and I want to fill it. And you keep poking holes in your cup, and you keep pouring your own juice, and it's just spilling out, and you're going, why can't I drink? And he's saying, why won't you drink from the well of life? Enjoy. We also de-image. And what I mean by that is uh, there are those of us who are clean. It says in Proverbs 30, 12, those of us who are clean in their own eyes but are not washing their filth, uh, not washing their filth. We think we're clean, but, man, we're dirty and jacked up. Uh, this, this is stuff that can, 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 subconsciously is really hard. Um, here's, what, here's what we say. We say, man, what would people do if they were me? That's what we do, right? Then we think, well, this is the right thing. And this is, the, this is the wrong thing. What I would do is the right thing. So if you were me, this is what you would do. And if you weren't me, this is what you would do. So that's evil, right? And so what happens is um, we want now, these same people want to be like Jesus, okay? So we want to be like Jesus. Uh, and so in essence, we're saying holiness looks like this. Do you see that? That's what's scary. These aren't people that are saying, be like me. These are people saying, I want to be like Christ. And I think my way is right. You need to be like me. So actually, I'm the staple of holiness, not Christ. You see the danger there? When you start wanting people to do what you do and their preference issues, you better watch out. You're at that point, put yourself on the throne. That's what you've done. And he says, this looks like unholy. I mean, look at this. Uh, let me give you examples. Holy people never play craps. 
because I don't play craps, right? Like gambling. Y'all know what craps is? <laughs> Holy people. I'm like, I'm like $3 billion business. No one in here ain't never done craps. All right. Holy people. Holy, holy people don't get tattoos or piercings because I don't have tattoos. You know? Holy people don't drive expensive cars because I don't. Holy people homeschool because I do. Holy people send their kids to public school because I do. Holy people really love homeless people because I like homeless people. So why do you like homeless people? Well, I do. Holy people really love the youth because I love youth. So you got to love youth. Holy people like ministering substance abuse because I like ministering to substance abuse people. Do you see how we do that? Do you see how we do that? We take our little thing and we say, if you, if you do what I do, then you're really good with Christ. Do you see how evil that is? Do you see the idol worship there of yourself? So pleasure in that. That's de-imaging. That's, God wants you to image and you're taking the image away. You're saying, no, no, people were created in my image. Not in God's image. You need to be like me. Basically, whatever I'm doing, holy people are doing, because everyone like me uh, needs to do what I do. So uh, I just want to propose that distorted pleasures proves uh, that the opposite of Christianity is not atheism. I want to propose this idolatry. Because that's what we focus on. Distorted pleasures, I think it proves it's not not having a God. It's having a false God. That's, that's the opposite of Christianity. Um, here, me give you keys to kingdom pleasure, guys. I just want to end here. First, guys, we should enjoy our lives. Um, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do joy, but you get to. You get to, you get to enjoy holiness. You get to be with the Lord. You get to see God just change your will. Um, I want to propose, I think it's a sin not to enjoy your life. God says, I created you to live and you never lived. Also, I, I want to propose uh, keys to kingdom pleasure is, is turn dreams into visions. What I mean by that is I, I, I'm convinced like a vision never moved forward is just a dream, right? Because everybody has dreams, but you talk visions when it actually happens, right? That's when you say, I, you know, I had a vision, da 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 and then this happened. Dreams are just lofty. And I propose we as Christians, we have visions, okay, because we enjoy life. We say, hey, couldn't this be, couldn't, like there should be nothing off limits because our God is an impossible God. And so we can dream and trust the Lord. We can think big. We can go out and, and, and take risks by God's grace. Turn dreams into visions. Gain your framework. It was one of our things we want to be about here. Gain your framework from Scripture not from people. Gain your framework from the Bible and not what people are saying. And finally, don't, don't construct your own framework of right and wrong and sit as judge. Don't say, here's, you know, I've been working a, lot, a while. I've been walking with Jesus. I've been reading my Bible and going to a few BSF thingies. I got it now. Here is what people need to do. Here it is. If you do this, you're okay with me, that means you're okay with Jesus. Don't be that guy or girl because you're sapping joy from other people and you're sapping joy from yourself because you're just living and you're walking around and you're just a judger.
And there's no grace in that. Where is the grace? People need to be free. Please, everyone in this body, free each other here. Free each other to enjoy Jesus, okay? Let's enjoy the Lord. Let's ask tough questions. Let's be in each other's lives. But let's allow people to experience God's grace, okay? Let's, let's wave the grace flag so people can enjoy the Lord. Pray with me.